Guys, I want to get loud all of a sudden. I, I'm, Do it. Sorry, I'm loud. I'm, get loud. I'm gonna, it's you. I knew it was coming. I'm sorry, guys. Get on the back. I to do that. It is. It is. You feel like Poseidon chucking that bugger down. <laughs> chucking that bugger. Did you butt out that deer? I did not butt out that deer, but the next one I get, okay, I'm just getting his butt out. Is that little Stevie out here? Uh, <laughs> Drobop. Bow drop. I'm sorry. Bob. Hello. Stay tuned. I'll be back after my seizure. <laughs> Every little chipmunk that was running around, everything's dead quiet, and I went <laughs> like that. Just happened. Just happened. I saw what is in essence a nature gasm. <laughs> All right, Deke, start us off. Welcome back to the Sonic Campfire. This is Rut and River Pursuits podcast. <laughs> There it went. I heard I th- it. I think it lit off, yeah. right? Okay. <laughs> a little late. It wasn't late. It was late. Like an Olympic torch. Well, if you stay on me like this. Oh, it's going to be that kind like of night. Tactics. It is going to be that kind of night. Better, you better get control of this quick. Okay. Whoa. Who do we have around this table? I'm Steve. I'm Will. Hey, guys. I'm Ryan. It's Bucky. And this is Dave. Guys, I'm really excited for tonight. You, we, me, both, bud. We have... Could we call them Pennsylvania royalty? I would. At, there's at no other point, word for it. These guys—they've guys, they've been doing it probably one, you longer. Know, yeah, I've harder. Been following these guys for a while. These guys go from everything from mushroom hunting, rattlesnake hunting, flintlock, traditional archery, ice fishing. That's just the exotic stuff. Yeah, you're if, killing me, bud. If it's in the outdoors in they, Pennsylvania, especially. They do it. They definitely do it. We have Leatherwood Outdoors. We have John and Shane. What's happening, guys? Hey, thanks for having us on. Hey, guys. Absolutely. It's our pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. What's new with you guys? Well, I tell you what, this time of year, uh, we're looking forward to archery season. It's right around the corner. It's the change of life. I think is that it, what they is, call it? Is that accurate? Where I think that's hunting. something that's else. That's where we stop fishing and start hunting. Uh, yeah, I mean, already kind of getting into it as far as doing a little goose hunting, doing a little dove hunting. I'm getting ready for steelhead fishing. Can't wait for that. I, think, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. That, that's at any time coming. And then, you know, we go early season down the city and try to shoot some deer with a bow and then... You know, our openers stay wide here, so it's coming and coming quick. Yeah. It sure is. What, two weekends away? You, Three, if, technically, I guess. If I can ask, like, with the salmon, do you wait for reports that they're here, or do you just pick a week? Well, it's one of those things. I've been doing it for a long, long time, and you meet people. You meet good people. You meet bad yeah. people up there, and I've been fortunate enough actually ice fishing up there. Met a guy up there and, you know, became friends. He actually recognized us from some of the videos and he fishes and he lives up there. You know what I mean? So he, oh, nice. he, he knows what he knows what's going on all times of the year. I mean, if it's perch here or walleye there, steelhead here, you know, he, he knows it and he has enough friends that fish as well. So he always has good information. So I just call him and like, Hey, you know, you know, and the last that I heard, the, the, the steelhead were only, you know, 40 feet, 30, 40 feet out. So, we're supposed to get a power in this weekend. Hopefully, they get it and 
you could possibly look at next week and be still at fishing. Wow. So, wow. If you wait for the reports, you're probably too late anyway. That's the thing about it. You read it, you're too late. If you yeah. want to hit it good, not that the fish aren't there, but I found, like, I'd rather chance a heavy rainstorm, you know, going up after and catching those first fish up in there. Because, I mean, it's it's sometimes like fishing in a hatchery. I mean, every fish wants mm-hmm. to eat. They haven't seen anything. You start reading reports of guys catching fish, and it's like, well, they're already beat up. They've been yeah. fished out for two weeks already and, and caught three times, you know. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so like I said, I talk to him and go from there. Yep. No, I, t- I rely on Stevie a lot listening to his reports. and They're always spot on. You nailed <laughs> And two you, weeks behind. You nailed it. At least two weeks behind. <laughs> So good on you. You got some good intel, it sounds. Well, well, guys, I know we, we hit on that one specific thing right away. Right out of the gate, we jumped on that one. But it's hard not to. I want to, for like the three people that may be interested in the outdoors that don't know Leatherwoods and their amazing videos on Facebook, can you guys give us a quick little background? What is Leatherwoods Outdoors? Yeah, that's a good question. Oh, well, Leatherwood Outdoors is just a group of us uh, from Western Pennsylvania that love to film everything in the Pennsylvania outdoors. Um, if you can hunt fish and trap it, we're pretty much going to be making a video of it. And so we share all of our, um, experiences, uh, on YouTube. We have two channels, Leatherwood Outdoors and our second channel, Leatherwood Outdoors 2. And we also have a Facebook page and we are starting to get into, uh, getting set up on an Instagram page. Cool. How long have you guys been doing it? How long have you not been on Instagram? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we were getting so many messages. I, I just thought it was just too much. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, with, we tried, I, I, I try to answer every question that we get on every single video. Oh my goodness. And try to, if it's a legitimate question or if somebody says something that I feel needs to respond to, I try to read every single comment and then on top of that, then you have the messages being sent and then you have Facebook with the messages and notifications and comments. And it was Jeez. just like anything with Twitter or Instagram just seemed like it was just way too much because it was more than what we could handle. John, you get uh, tens of thousands of views on every video. How can you possibly respond to everything? That's That's got to be a full-time job and then some. Well... <laughs> It, it does take a lot of time, but I love reading the comments and I really don't sit on the computer and watch, um, you know, a whole bunch of other different things. Yeah. Um, you know, when I'm on the computer, I'm editing, I'm checking the comments and seeing, you know, uh, what people like and you meet new people that way. It's always interesting. Um, just the other day, uh, I got a comment on a video that said, Hey, um, I live, you know, they just happened to live literally a half hour down the road. And I don't think they realized how close we were. <laughs> yeah. And they just thought that was absolutely amazing. Cause they said, you know, I'm from PA. That'd be so awesome to make it back up to PA. They, they live out, out of state now. Um, but, and then when they find out, Oh, we're close to home. And, uh, we've even seen that with, um, people overseas and people in the military that are overseas that are from Pennsylvania or have roots, uh, into deer hunting and they, they watch our videos and they can relate so much because it reminds them of home and love reading those messages. And, um, it's a, 
inspiration for us to keep making the videos. Yeah, driving force. I mean, that, that's part of the driving force, the positive feedback. I mean, and plus you meet a lot of great people. You really do. You, yeah. I mean, obviously there's bad apples everywhere, but it's like I've truly been blessed with the amount of awesome people that I've met. I mean, through doing this, but it all stems back to, like I said, the positive feedback, the you know, our military too, you know, it's one of those things you get a guy on there. that says, you know, I've served three tours and stuff like that. And I love coming home and, and watching your videos. I mean, that really hits home, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. absolutely. So how long have you been making videos for YouTube? Uh, I want to say 2006, I think. Well, we well, might have filmed well, well, before that we, yeah, we were filming, uh, both of us, um, before even the thought of Leatherwood Outdoors, we were filming our outdoor adventures way before um, we ever created the YouTube channel. And, I mean, I even have a video on our Leatherwood Outdoors channel um, from when I was probably six years old. And wow. we were floating the Red Bank Creek, and my dad always carried the video camera with with me or with us everywhere we went when uh, no matter what we were doing. And we did a lot of hunting and fishing and stuff. And well, fishing when before I was old enough to hunt, but we were videotaping uh, a bear that was crossing the river in front of us. And you can hear me in the, in, in the video saying, can I run the camera? Can I run the camera? Uh, cool. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how early I've been, you know, having the camera um, around me every time I'm going out and being able to share those experiences. And then, as with Shane, you know, they were, um, Shane, Shane and some of those other guys were videotaping and, you know, over time, you know, we, we all went to the same high school, um, different grades and stuff. We all knew each other and stuff. Shane and I played on the same little league team. Um, but, um, it wasn't until like after high school, you know, I created the, the, the YouTube channel when YouTube was just coming up and it's like, here's an easier way yeah. that I can share those memories because we were videotaping with VHS and the high eight tapes um, and the mini DVD tapes. So yeah. you're all over the place. So if, if one person or two people or even three guys would get, you know, say a deer kill on video and you wanted to show it to a family member or a mm-hmm. friend or something like that, you're, you're taking three different video cameras with three different sets of cords and hooking them up to a TV, fast forward, <laughs> mid, you know what I mean? Rewind and fast forward yeah. and trying to get to this one certain spot. So it's like, well, let's put them on YouTube. It's quick. It's easy. And it was kind of by accident. I mean, to really think about it as, as far as where we're at today. I mean, it was just the, and, and it's like with fishing, I'm sure you guys may have done this before, but I waited out with the video camera. My waiters went in too far, ruined the camera. So it's like, I would have lost all my footage if I wouldn't have, you know, stopped down to Johnny's before, you know, I went fishing and it's like, it's just, you know, dropped a camera out of a tree stand. So it's like, it was a, it was a, I guess like a, a holding spot for us as far as our videos go and a safe spot, you know, yep. safe way to store them, easy way to share them. Um, and that was the main goal behind it was to preserve memories and share them with friends and family. And that was what we were looking at. Now, second, you know, we're thinking, well, that would be in the back of our minds. We're thinking that would be pretty cool to be like the guys on TV, you know, and do a hunting show. But, um, the main driving force was to be able to share our experiences 
with friends and family the easiest way possible. And what easier way than to copy a link and send it an email There it is, you yep. know, through YouTube. And so, um, like I said, it was, a uh, around 2000, I'm thinking YouTube channel we created in 2008 and <clears throat> Shane and some of those guys, they already had footage of their own. And I was, I taught myself how to convert the VHS and the, all those other different formats of tapes and DVDs mm-hmm. onto a digital format before the digital camera age really took on. And they didn't know anybody that could do that. And since, you know, we were from the same area, they learned that I was starting to put some videos up on YouTube mm-hmm. and they said, Hey, you know, why don't, you know, could, could you edit these? And I said, well, we're all from the same area. And I said, you bring me the videos and I'll edit them and put them up on the channel okay. and, nice. and we'll just keep that going from sense. there. And that's how it started. And, you know, the, then, cool. you know, friends of mine and friends of Shane's, you know, everyone's like, well, Hey, this is, you know, Hey, if I, if I brought you some video, would you do it too? And I was like, well, yeah, bring it to me. And, uh, you know, I'll just edit it. And that's how it sort of, that's how the group, got started there was no nobody in and nobody out there wasn't like a definite number of this is part of the leatherwood crew it's constantly evolving and changing and you know that was gonna um, be so it's mostly just really good friends and family cool that was gonna be one of my questions is like how many guys are involved in the group because i i try to keep up with it and watch all the videos as they come out i usually end up like waiting until a particular time of year and i'm researching something and then i try to backfill uh, and get caught up with you guys but I was going to ask how many contributors you guys have because there's always uh, new videos going on. Yeah, it's different from year to year. Mm-hmm. I mean, six months to six months is different as far as. I mean, there's obvious. You watch the videos. There's obvious people that continue doing it, but some people will do it for a little while. And you know, we had some some people that you know kind of started it. You know, it was always bringing footage, but get jobs in the oil field or gas line, you know, pipeline and stuff like that. They're here for a couple of days. People get married, you know, and it's like people come and people go. I yeah. mean, yeah, so I as far as a set number, I mean, it's, there isn't really a set number of, but as you, far as that goes. And you guys also have some people that are involved with the group that they sort of have their specialties, right? Sure. That's, that's yeah, one of right. the things we pride ourselves on. Like we, everybody's got their own little niche, but we all kind of, do a little bit of everything. And I'd say you guys are definitely, you know, along the same lines, you've got some of the guys that seem to be a little bit more involved during trapping season or hunt morels, or, you know, when it comes time for recurves, you know, you've got steelhead fishing, steelhead fishing. Yeah. Yeah. But John, your last video that you just released or or recently released, it was a month or so ago. My first question is I know where this is going. What is wrong with you, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, Take your time. Yeah. I, 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 th- th- this was on rattle. This was rattlesnake, rattlesnake hunting. And yeah, yeah. Ah, bless your heart. I I don't know what else to say. Like just, I, I'm speechless. Well, talk talk I, about that a little for me, but help me wrap my head around why a grown man would stick a tube <laughs> around a venomous snake's head and slap a tape on it. <laughs> well, I tell you, when I was a little kid, my brother and I, we would run around. My grandfather had a, a pipe business and he'd sell you yeah. pipe and new, new pipe. And 
the workers were always scared of little green snakes and garter snakes and everything. And they'd always holler for us to come up and run up and catch them for them. So I was used to catching snakes when I was little and it was an easy transition, uh, to get into rattlesnakes and, and basically how I got started. Oh yeah. A friend of mine, uh, and his uncle, we were coming down through, uh, we were in the Benazets and Mahoning area coming down off one of the mountains and, my friend looked down over into the ditch in the culvert and he goes, stop. And so his uncle put the brakes on and he says, back up. So he backed up and he looks out of the window and goes, yep. And I'm like, what? It goes, and he starts to get out of the truck and then you can hear him rattle. And it, as they're rattling, he goes, two rattlesnakes, black bait oh, and eel. Oh and as soon Better as I run. see them, yeah, they darted right underneath the, the pipe in the culvert. Did and you just say that was, you, you sharded and... <laughs> Dove back. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. That's what I would have done. Oh, yes. And, you know, I've been going up into that area. My dad would take me up there ever since I was a little kid. We'd go yeah. up fishing and stuff and always was told about the rattlesnakes. But, I mean, maybe I only ever seen maybe one or two that were maybe hit on the road. And it just never registered that there's still rattlesnakes. Even as I got older and out of high school, I'm still, it wasn't never really registering into my mind. There's rattlesnakes in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so after that, his uncle said, you know, and we would go up to his uh, camp up there and stay. He goes, you know, there's some rattlesnakes that have been being seen close to camp. He goes, you know, you can get a permit and you can hunt those. He goes, if you guys want to get your gear, I'll take you out so we can hunt some rattlesnakes that are coming down close to the camps and stuff. And we said, sure. So the very next year, we got our stuff. We jumped out of the truck. We had no idea what to do, where to go. We just knew basic habitat, you know, up on top of a hill, some sunlight trees, some rocks, an opening. And we jumped out of the truck. And the second rock I jumped on, right on the right beside it was a big black face, probably 45 inches, laying oh, right there, no more than nice. no more than 25, 30 feet from the truck. Beginner, and that's all luck. the quicker it took. Oh. And then you were hooked. It, right. We were hooked ever it, since. A, and a question on the snake population in Pennsylvania, is it is it the internet that the word of mouth for snake hunting or is the popul is conservation working and we're getting more snakes? Like where the population's increasing or is just the awareness of the rattlesnake I, population coming out? I think it's more of the awareness. Okay. Um I'm not saying that um, you know, like you mean as, as because of them taking them off the list of the candidate species? Well, no, it just seems like there's more rattlesnakes. I mean, like I don't, I like bigger bucks now. Yeah. It, it just seems like for, for an outsider looking in, are you trying to give me nightmares? Yeah, bud. <laughs> I, I don't remember you guys ever hunt for clowns. <laughs> like growing up, I don't remember hearing about that many rattlesnakes and now, well, and now, like, you know, in my 30s, I'm hearing more about it. Is it's, it, is it because of the internet? It's a vogue, yeah. Yeah, is, is I, it? I think it is. Social okay. media, for sure. Right. Okay. Social media. I mean, I don't know how many times people have come up to me and said, you know, I got into snake hunting because of your videos. And we would always look at our snake tags to see the number. And yeah. I don't know the exact number, but I, I feel confident saying that 
this, the snake hunters have probably tripled since we started putting videos. You up. think so? Wow. I don't, I, it's just unbelievable. We would go into places that I would think I'm never going to see another person. Yeah. And there's another person snake hunting and then they recognize me and it's like, this is crazy. You know, and they're like, oh, yeah, I drove a couple hours just to come up here and hunt this three miles back in. And it's like, you know, how many people uh, and we get so many messages on, you know, snake hunting and, you know, how to get started. Now, as you guys know, snake hunters are very tight lipped um, about the information that they give out. Um, But, yeah, you go. There's so many places in Pennsylvania. um, And I think a lot of it. Like Shane said, it, it's social media. People realize that they're out there, and through social media, um, people are going and showing these lookouts and different cool things that are out there yeah. uh, to go see, and people are running into them more and more. So, so, yeah, I think it really is with social media. John, are you ever like, well, why are you going three miles back when they're right by my truck? <laughs> <laughs> Well, part of the experience of snake hunting isn't just the snake hunting. It's just being in the outdoors, the exploring scenery, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the scenery, the views that you get to see, um, you know, it, it's kind of like um, some days you're in the same tree over and over and over again for archery, and you just feel like, I just need a change of scenery. And that's sort of the way it transition with snake hunting we would go to the one same spot and it's like we would never want to go anywhere else because we knew the snakes were there but now it's to the point now where hey it's fun because there's so many snakes out there it doesn't matter where you go if you know the ha- type of habitat um to look for uh, you can generally in a short period of time find rattlesnakes i like and, how you- I really like how you guys are real selective on what you're gonna harvest i, I think that's awesome uh, that's that's showing conservation at its utmost, and I, I really respect you guys for doing that. And you're kind of, you know, you're like, well, I've already had a yellow phase, or I had this one. I, I'm looking for the one, and that, that's pretty awesome. But it even gets to the point now where it's like, I don't know, being around them so much, I guess, and, and finding, you know, fortunate enough to find as many as what we have. It's like almost now. And then you, you get to hearing more things like, like it's kind of like a muskie, like a 50 inch muskie is like the pinnacle muskie. You know what I mean? Right. So a 50 inch rattlesnake is like a pinnacle snake. Like you find a 50 inch or like, that's a, that's a giant snake. Or it was like one of those deals. And once you find them and then it's like, well, you know, that snake could have been 20 years old, you know, but you want to find the biggest one, like yeah. shooting the biggest buck or anything yeah. like that. But then it's like, then you get to think about it, you know, you might be finding a 52, a 54 inch snake that could be 34 years old. Is it really worth killing it to eat it and have a a skin on the wall? You know what I mean? Especially if if you've done, you know, and and we all, we all have a few that we've kept and, you know, tander hides and stuff like that. So it's like going back to what Johnny was saying, it's more of the experience of being out there, seeing them, telling them and it. And, and I can, it happens. It's like whenever we first started doing it, it was like we tried to catch every snake that we saw. You know what I mean? And now yeah. it's more taking pictures of them, filming them. Don't even bother. You're like you seeing so many, you can look at it and be like, well, that's a female. You know, she's probably thirty five inches long. You know, or that's a male. He's you know forty four inches long or over forty. You know what I mean? And it's like one of those deals where you don't even really bother with them because it's something 
now that you don't even you know want to kill. So yeah, the, the, there were two things that I loved the most about that video. The, the first was, like John said, the scenery. Like that did not look like the Pennsylvania that I'm used to. Like you were on some steep, rocky cliffs. Oh yeah, that's but, out there. That's like not. But you got to get out of chambers. I know, but that's not. <laughs> Stevie, I, the lakes are in the lower spots. But good point. Bingo, bingo. It, it, so, so that that scenery was just beautiful. Like it's not. I don't know. That that, that was beautiful. And the, the second thing was that the snakes run away from you. Well, not run, but they they, right. they don't have legs. They but. slither away fairly. Like when I think of rattlesnake, like I'm thinking of I'm walking, you know, towards the lake or something like that, and this rattlesnake's going to jump out of a bush and bite me on the neck, jump out of a tree, and then you know, <laughs> stand there and wait for me to. Or, you guys watch like too many cartoons. You know, wait. You know, right. they, they're, they're not going to try to come after you, it, and that's another. That was thing. so we, reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> we know with our videos how many people are watching, and you yeah. know we get a lot of younger kids that are watching, and we know that we need to be responsible in the type of content that we put out, and so we want to be able to show um, not only educational things, but we want to show ethical type of hunting, um, because we know the next, the future generation of hunters are, they're watching our videos. And so, um, I think education is a big thing and, you know, yeah, they do strike at us uh, and stuff like that, but it's not like Shane said, we're not out there trying to catch every single snake and, you know, and, um, we try to do it really safe too. I know there's guys out there that handle them by hand or just hook in hand. Yeah, good for um, them. But, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. it's I mean, called your, a lot of people. That's called that, your destined to crow fab city. That's the uh, anti-vitam for uh, Eastern Diamondback. Oh, I, crow yeah. fab city. Oh. Yeah. I'll write that I down mean, in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> crow fab when city. When we first started hunting, we picked them up by hand. Oh, and my. I only did that one year. And I only did my, I only caught my first snake I caught by hand. And, you know, holding it behind the head. And I realized after I did that, I, I, the rest of the time on the way home, I'm thinking, that was so dumb what I did. And so I said, I am never going to do that ever again. Um, and then as I learned, as I, you know, learned more about the snakes, and that's another thing, when you, if you're hunting something just like whitetail or anything else, you learn about the animal that you're hunting. And so the more I learned about the rattlesnake, just in order to find it and learn about where I could find bigger ones, I learned more about the snake, gained a more, uh, gained more respect uh, for the snake yeah. as I got older and hunted it longer um, to where the point now is, um, you know, I want to handle them as safely and not try to be manly about it, not try to, you know, be like a macho man and say, hey, look how, look what I can do. You know, it's like, I don't want somebody else going out there thinking, well, they did it. I can do it too. Yeah. And get it because they watch my video or something. Doesn't mean that, um, you know, you can't get bit with tongs, holding tongs, because uh, there's a lot of people that have been handling snakes for many years that get bit. And I think the main problem is they lose a healthy fear of the snake. Um, you know, it's, I think people, yeah. when they start out, um, if you're not, learning the proper ways to handle a snake in the first time is just a matter of time. But if you have a healthy fear in the beginning, um, if you 
are overconfident and you're handling to the point where it's like, well, I've never had one do this. Or, well, I haven't had this happen, so I can get away with doing this a little bit more. Um, that That is a sign right there that danger's coming. Yep. So it's, it's a wild so animal. You, you can never predict. Yeah, it's a wild animal. You can never truly predict what they're going to do. Yeah, we had we had Manny Puig right. on a couple of weeks ago, and the guy hand feeds sharks. He yeah. wrestles gators. He's only got nine fingers, and he lost that one because of a rattlesnake. Yeah, right. Yeah, a rattlesnake's what got him the worst. Yep. Not the not. Well, he's he got bit by a gator. Every that was a shark. big diamondback down there. And yeah. 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 Yep. Or something like that. Hey guys, can we talk about something other? Well, than I, snakes? I well, wait, I just, <laughs> well wait, Stevie's getting all skis down. We're forgetting one big question for Deaky. Do you guys wear sh- shin guards? Yeah, I was gonna say like, what is your like if for you some mean, guy? Like gators? Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, when we first started, we had the, the snake <laughs> full chest, full body armor, full body armor. <laughs> now you're you talking. Know, yeah, and now it's really loincloths. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on the type of hunt you plan on doing. Um, a lot of the guys, we've, we've brought a lot of people with us, friends, close friends, that they just wanted to go to watch. Where was our end? were in shorts and tennis shoes. Oh, my. Um, but, it, you know, there's lots of other people that are out there hiking in shorts and tennis shoes. And they're right in the same places where the rattlesnakes are. So it's really the type of hunt. And those guys usually stay on the path. And they stay in between everybody else. If you're going to be going through the brush that's up to your knee, then you're definitely going to want snake-proof boots at least, you know. Uh, and if you're going – I always said that if you're climbing over rocks and dead brush where you could fall, and this happened to me before, where I, my foot slipped in between two rocks and I fell into my waist – and underneath the rock, it would have been the back of my thigh. I could hear a rattlesnake oh, come under on, the rock buzzing. That. But I had my chaps on, and I thought if I would have just had my boots on, and it was close enough to the rock, it was too far back under the rock, but if it would have been out to the edge, it could have bit me on the back of my thigh. But I notice now, if I, I just don't do that type of exploring. I don't walk over brush between rocks and stuff. I try to pick where I'm going to walk things like that. So yeah, we usually mostly just have snake proof boots anymore. And then some of the guys that go with us, if they want chaps, we have them. Uh, and an Iron Man suit. Chastity (laughs) belt. Yeah. But this year I hunted four days and seen, saw and caught 74 snakes. What? In four days. (laughs) And Three of those four days, I was in places that I've never been before. Wow. I was going to say, yeah, that was the other part of that video is you guys those were Those were just new places areas. just going and taking a chance in a place and finding snakes. So, well, we'll be up next that, year. So. No, we won't. Speak <laughs> <laughs> for yourself. It's like one of those things I always said, like, if someone would hold a gun to my head and say, you have one snake to find today, what kind of snakes are going to be? I'd pick a rattlesnake. Nine out of ten times. Okay. <laughs> that's that's oh. really how many there are. That's just a testament to really? how easy they are to find and how many there are in the state. I mean, wow. I don't want to invite myself, but I, I'm gonna, I want to invite myself to do this. <laughs> Life begins at the end of your comfort zone, and wise man once said. I'm pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have taken some friends that were, I mean, absolutely scared to death of them. Did not want, you know, and they realize and they learn about them. Um, I, I put up a video this year of taking some friends from Pittsburgh and uh, 
you know, by the first day, you could you could see by the second day in the video, it was a complete night and day change on how they viewed and how much more respect they have for the rattlesnake just in one day's worth of seeing how they interact with us. Yeah, because and- they're not actually out there trying to get you. Now, if you jump down beside one real quick while it's there, <laughs> you're going to startle it and it'll probably strike at you. Yeah. But, you know, if you're just easily you know walking through and keeping your eyes open they're not going to come after you and that was they don't want to be they don't want to be bothered at all they really don't want to be and i and i would say safely 80 percent of the snakes if they would never rattle we would have never seen them you know what i mean and they leave you know i mean sometimes i mean they're 15 yards away and they're already rattling trying to get underneath a rock you know what i mean they they don't want to be bothered they're not one of those things that you know, they sneak up behind you whenever you walk past them. But yes, in the they back do. <laughs> no, see, and and that was the great part about those guys that you had up from Pittsburgh uh, that that weren't comfortable doing this on day one, and by day two, their message that they were relaying is exactly what you wanted to show to, like yeah. you were saying, John, to your younger viewers and stuff. It's these snakes aren't hiding behind somewhere waiting for you to walk by so they can jump out and scare you, right, Steve? Like a flying squirrel. like a flying I'll squirrel. Take their words, but. For it. You know, they're, they have a fear of humans, and if you give them their space, they'll just move along and, and, and just be gone. Yep. Good point. Uh, I'll take your word for it, bud. Yeah. I'm going along next year. I'm, I'm in. Deaky has another They haven't officially invited us. I mean, they're not. I invited myself. I, but we they don't, don't mind. They <laughs> might. I'm just going like, to show up at the dri- see their driveway the and, goes. like, just follow their truck. <laughs> we don't have to go far from their <laughs> truck. Yeah. Hey, well, let's let's get talking about trapping. Oh, that sounds good. I mean, like trapping snakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve's back out again. Oh boy. No, now, I'm sorry. Now you guys get into some pretty good trapping, I, and I think that's that's a nice dying art that you guys are showing and trying to keep alive and and showing to like like you said, your audience can be younger, and I think that's adding some kids to that that activity. I think that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, Shane is more into the trapping. I get my fur takers like I haven't set a trap in probably 10 years, but I get my fur takers license every year just in case I feel like, same I, way. I, you know, it, 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 it's the thought of trying to preserve that tradition and, you know, Shane can tell you more on that. And it really, that's, that's what it boils down to. And it, I always said some of the best all around outdoorsmen that I know are trappers. I mean, and it's just because they're out there every day. They see the movement of the animals, you know, they're willing to try different things. And I I feel like sometimes people get stuck on the same thing, regardless of what it is, you know, you're talking bass fishing, you got the guys that'll throw the, Lipless crankbaits, day in, day out, and on you know, or jerk baits, or whatever. It is. And it's like, and it's like they're not that you're not going to catch fish, or you're not going to catch a coon in a in a coon cuff using this bait. But you know, a lot of times, whenever something isn't working, they don't hesitate. At least I don't as a trapper. But at the end of the day, with that being said, it's like you always have your go-to. This is a go-to canine set this is a go-to coon set you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and so i mean but you put that in relations with everything else you do as far as hunting goes and it it all ties in there's there's a lot of ties i feel that start with trapping i mean 
And, and like I said, a lot of it has to do with just being out there. So now, is Pennsylvania trapping like I'm seeing on Mountain Men or uh, Alaska Frontiers? Is, Jeremiah is, Johnson. Is that is that similar? <laughs> am, I, am I getting a good representation of? Trapping in no general. dog sleds, uh, of course, or, or snow <laughs> machines predominantly. But is that what's going on here? Uh, I mean, I'm sure that some people maybe take that to next, you know, to that level. But for the most part, um, you got you know more so. You got to figure too, like like even with us, though, like we have full time jobs. You know what I mean? So it's like you got to be up before your job. You know, checking your traps, if you catch anything, either redoing them after your job's over with at the end of the day. Yeah. And then if you do catch something, you got to take it home, skin it, clean it, flush it, dry it, you know, get it ready for market and stuff like that. So there's a lot of, of work, you know, involved with trapping, but it's like to, to take it to that level, I don't think that that happens very much around, around here. Like I said, as far as what the people that I know who trap it now... Some guys will take off, you know, that's what they do. They're, they're trappers. Whenever you're a trapper, you're a trapper. You're not, you know, and, I, and I'll never sit here and say that I'm, I'm a great trapper by any means. Like, can I catch coon? Yes. Can I catch fox? Yes. But it's like, if you want to be good at it, that's all that you can do. And it's like, for me, it's like, I, you know, I archery hunt, I go to Ohio and hunt, I steelhead fish, you know, and it's like, I do so many other different things, go here, go there. I'm not a consistent trapper as far as that goes, just because I do so many other things where if you want to be a consistent trapper and stuff like that, that's what you got to do. You got to, you know, you're setting traps. You're not archery hunting because you're either expanding your line or tearing down a line to move it. You know what I mean? And you're not, you're not, you know, and it's like, like I always say, the last thing I want to do come, you know, the rut is I don't want to have to be up at, you know, three thirty, four o'clock in the morning checking traps yeah. and then go try to put an all day set in a tree stand, yeah. you know? And then whenever I'm done, if I don't kill a deer, I got to go home and skin animals and, and stuff like that. So it's like, if you're like, I, and, and we really haven't trapped too hard. No, we always do try to catch some just for, you know, your, population control basically you know it, it taking coon out that's a big thing around here actually was like coons because they're hard on turkeys they're hard on ducks you know they're hard on everything and and they all are i guess you know same with coyotes and deer and and stuff like that but yeah those, but those are the going videos back to your question as far as i mean i'm i don't see it i, I don't as, i uh, I, I, w I wasn't getting that the intensity and and making it your living or your lifestyle, but is just the 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 the, the process, the, the process and the, the, the technical planes. the t technical aspect of it, running the line, setting them up on trees, and and just so I could picture that in my head, I was just trying to paint a picture. Yeah, some of Shane's videos that I saw, like I think it was maybe two years ago or so, like there was a lot of. Um, sets that he was doing for the raccoon and like they were using a lot of the, the DP traps, the dog proof. Yeah, okay. And he's checking them. Quick. He's setting them up in the morning before work or he's running a, a quick check on a couple of traps before work. And, and it's a, like a 15, 20 minute video, but it's over four or five days where he's just doing a quick check. He goes in, he's got something, you know, he'll dispatch it. Then he'll go on and check the next one. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you guys. Yeah. And it's like one of those things like, it's like anything doing it for a while. Like you, you find new spots to set. So you try to run a loop or a line together, you know, and like, mm -hmm. and I would do that and go into work. Like I would run a line for say two weeks where 
take Coon for an example. And it's like one of those things. If you're, to me, like I like to put traps out for everything. If I'm going to, if I'm going to this spot, this spot, and I use bridges a lot, like because they're close to the road. If you can get your traps, you know, 20 yards off that, so people don't see them, either to steal your animals, steal your traps, or whatnot. You know, streams, any st- culvert or stream or, or bridge, like I always would have traps around those. You know, just waterways, coons are in waterways. You know what I mean, and and stuff like that. So I'm like. In my head, knowing the area, you know, like I can put a trap here for a coon, here for a coon, here for a coon, here for a coon. Along that way, you might run into a spot where there might be muskrat or mink. So you set a blind yeah. set for muskrat or mink, yeah. you know, while you're checking. And then it's like, okay, well, you get to the top of the hill where you see a spot where coyote and fox might be running as well. You know what I mean? So it's like then you take instead of coyote or, or a canine set out there. You know what I mean? So it's like what I always would try to do. I didn't, I mean, I targeted coon more than anything because it's like at one time, you know, within the past 10 years, they were worth $20 a piece. They were easy to catch. And I didn't mind, you know, that that was a big thing for, you know, on a Friday, Saturday night was spending the time, friends and stuff like that in the fur shed. You know what I mean? That's what we did. We got together, you know, fleshed all the animals that we caught throughout the week or or whatnot and, and had a bullshit session for you know, three, four, five hours at night. So, yeah. I mean, that was something we always look forward to. But as far as, like, that's how I would run my line. I'd do it for two or three weeks until he wasn't catching much and then figure out another route, you know, set new traps out, tear all your lines down. So that's basically how I viewed it as, as far as. Now, some of these guys are just trapped canines. They'll have eight or ten farms that they'll have traps set there for all year long because, like coyotes, especially, are moving. They're always moving. They're always, they oh, might yeah. be here one day, might not be there for another seven to 10 days. You know what I mean? You just got to be there and have your traps working whenever they're there, you know, and you might pick up one, but there could be a pack of four or five. So it's like, but like to me, like if I'm trapping, I like catching stuff, you know, it's like, so I'll put out coon traps, I'll put out muskrat and mink traps, beaver traps, you know, try to tie everything in together so you're getting, Throw it all out there, see what's biting. I like it. That's what I'm talking about. It's a good plan. You know who would make a good trapper? Like a dude that ran like a mall kiosk. Because you don't have to be at work till like 9 or 10 o'clock. <laughs> oh, yeah, like the sunglasses guy? Yeah, and then the, the guy that sells the, the Then they roll out at like yeah. 8.30 or 9. Yeah. You could, I've been saying that for years. You could trap as much as you want. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's, that, that's a good market, so you should push that. So, all right, I want to I want to change gears a little bit, and this could end up breaking into downshift 12, it, bud. Twelve or thirteen different subtopics, but yes, double clutch it. I want to talk a little bit about white-tailed deer. What? And I got to talk about how I sounds like a real snooze fest to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, fish Steve, fish and Steve. So, um, you know, this is really how I stumbled upon these guys um, many, many, many years ago. I would say at this point. Um, you know, I was interested in figuring out how to flintlock hunt and just getting into it and starting from scratch, having no idea. I mean, I was born and raised in a hunting family, but it was two days of buck, two days of doe. Yeah. That was the only hunt. You had your own podcast. I know. I remember, but I wanted to learn how to do uh, flintlock muzzleloader. Right. When you search PA flintlock muzzleloader on YouTube. Yeah. mm -hmm. Boy, the first thing that comes up is going to be Leatherwood because those videos that you boys put out are 
amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like Thanks. the the driving, the the deer drives late season. Oh yeah, where they're muzzleloader hunting and and and, <laughs> and the recurves and longbows. You drive. guys are smacking deer on the run with a recurve. <laughs> wow, uh, it just that's awesome. That could, that it makes you want to get out there. Sorry, sorry to derail no, your question. No, that's those are exactly the derail videos. Derail I mean, away, Deke. The the property that John, the property you guys are hunting is amazing. It's beautiful piece of property. And for anybody sure who is. hasn't seen the videos, you have to go out and look at these. There are, you know, there are big names in the world of hunting yeah. where their whole thing is tracking a deer, right? So like you think of the Benoits up in, up in uh, Maine yeah. and New Hampshire area, you know, their whole thing is how you can track a deer. And there's a lot of respect that I have for people that do that. I have so much respect for John and the way that he does a stalk on these deer and he's doing it with a camera. I got to hear about this. And then he's setting up <laughs> the shot with the camera and he's getting it all on. It's amazing what he's putting together. So I'm sorry, John. Anyway, I think he still has a camera from the eighties where it hangs. It's like off 40 shoulder. pounds. What it is. Yeah. It's one of the ones you put on your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Ratchet strap well, it to your, you know, when, when I hear you talk about footlock hunting, I, I think of the way I've been footlock hunting in two different areas, the way I used to hunt footlock and the way I hunt footlock now. Um, because before it was the snow camo, put a bunch of drives on guys with bows and, and muzzle loaders. And now, uh, with me personally, I'm into the period dress footlock cool. hunting. Yeah. So when I, I hear people say talking about their footlock, the footlock videos, I'm, I'm trying to picture what video they have in their mind when they're talking. Am I in the snow camo sneaking up in snow in front of the camo in front of the camera or am I, you know, making a fire underneath a rock ledge? Well, I'll, you know, I'll tell you what's really, really cool is the transition because I found you guys just looking for, you know, watching somebody hunt flintlock and PA. So it started with, those drives you guys were doing in late season and you got the snow camo. Um, but it over the years has progressed. And now I've learned how to make a Flint and steel fire. And I've watched you do this in these, you know, where you're dressed in the period dress and you're putting on, it's a movie. I mean, what, I'm sorry, but it's a 25 minute movie. What's a period dress though? I mean, what do you, what, what, what period are we talking about? Well, <clears throat> I would say between, uh, 1790, somewhere Whoa. around there. Um, the reason why is the property that I hunt on my family's property. Um, just l looking at the historical records. Um, now I'm in Clarion County, um, mm -hmm. where I'm at and the first settlers didn't even arrive until 1820. That the wow. historical records say that the first settler in my area. Now that area, what they're talking about might be a, a 10 mile area. I don't know exactly what sure. they're meaning by the area, but, uh, there was no, no one settled there. So I figured if somebody, the way the progression of the settlers would, what they would do is they would be on the Eastern side of the state and they would make trips into the Western part, scout out places, maybe for to build a home or something like that. And then go back, um, during winter, come back and do station hunts or something like that until they built like a rough cut, like log cabin or something like mm -hmm. that for their homestead. And so I, I mean, there's a lot of, 
things that I'm still learning with the period hunt, like on persona. And usually when people are doing that, they have, um, you know, this, uh, historically accurate persona of, you know, the type of hunting that they do and the, you know, people will even match the style of guns to the gun makers from that part of the state where wow. they hunt. I mean, it can go really, really in depth on what that does. But right now I'm, I would say that I'm just at the beginning parts of it. Sure. And are they trying to figure out like, um, like, like I've been to the reenactments at Gettysburg and like, sometimes they're kind of talking about an individual that this is the captain of the second battalion of Pennsylvania. Whatever. Yeah. I, those numbers are probably right. wrong. Are, are they even looking at that? Like trying to find a trapper from that period or the, a market? Yeah, they hunter? might find a specific person or read through the history of a uh, person and they might even dress if they can find anything in the records of what the person even dressed like, or maybe even if it was one thing, they would take that one thing and wear it. That's cool. Um, That's because really cool. Part That's of pretty the interesting. Whole, yeah. The whole point of the period dress is to preserve history. And we have to realize that the flintlock season mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania is the most single important historical hunting season we have. Because that is where we came from. Yeah. And people are wanting to bring inlines into that flintlock season. If that happens, we, we will not be able to wear orange. We're, or no orange is what I'm saying. We'll have to wear orange. Sure. I'm not going to, and there are people in some states that will dress that have, that dress the way I'm dressing and have orange on their hat. I feel like it defeats the purpose. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be able to make a video like I did because I'd have to have an orange hat and have patches on my shirt to uh, cover that 250 square inch. I got you. Gotcha. And that's the reason why I, I fear the footlock season um, may disappear in the future. And I want to try to preserve that because there's history about it. And when people say, why are you dressing like that? That's an opportunity for me to bring up history. Dude, and I, I never thought, lesson. never even once gave it a thought. And, and you know, I'm ready I'm, to dig I'm, my heels in. I'm a hundred percent behind you. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's yeah. a great, great position to be on for, uh, and, and you know, I, I, it kind of, it, it, it bothers me when I hear people say, Oh man, deer season's over at the end of rifle season. It's not over. No, bless their hearts. I mean, to some people, it hasn't even begun yet. Yeah. Because I save a tag always. It's the only season that I make sure I have a tag for. Yeah, I think we, now we, I mean, there's at least four or five of us to make sure that we do every year just, just for that. You know, there's just something about hunting in the snow. You know what I mean? Whether it's spotting or stalking or, or getting together and, and putting on little drives to each other, there's just, there's something about that time. It's not, you know, the so-called orange army. You don't have to be quiet like you are in archery season. Right. It's just, I, I, I don't know. There's just, there's something about that time. It's you know. eerily quiet. Like after yeah. you have those you know, couple weeks of rifle and then you mm-hmm. do a all day sit in, in, in late season, it is oddly quiet. It's freaky. I think. Well, and, that, and then another thing like it uh, kind of ties into is it's like you got, you go through the two week of gun season and it's like those deer have been pushed around all over the place. They yeah. never do 
what you want them to do. You know what I mean? You come in and like, and you see the videos where we are successful and do and do harvest something, but it's like you're not seeing the 20 drives before that, especially with a bow. You know, yeah. it, it, to get one with a bow within four or five yards to come past you, I mean, it's like one of those deals where you're really doing something right to, for that to happen because it's like you start a drive and, and two deer go back past you, well, that's where the rest of them are gone. So, you know, and it's like after being pushed around all rifle season and, and, and stuff like that and not doing what you want them to do, it's like, you know, a, a sense of accomplishment to – and then you're throwing in a flintlock that goes off, you know, maybe, you know, you never know, <laughs> when it you wants. know with one of those in your hands, if it's going off or not. And that's the fun of it all too. And it's like, I, I have yet to have not. mine go off. So really, <laughs> no, kid. Zero percent of the time, zero percent. And that's part of the fun as well. You know what I mean? It's, you just never know. You got to put the powder in the pan. No, looking back what? on it, it was fun. At the time, I was not enjoying myself I at bet. all. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to the clothes a little bit. What are you wearing? What What is the period clothing? Is it? Uh, uh, well, the, the main long is, is a hunting frock that's walnut dyed. So, like, if you were to take a bunch of walnuts and put them in a, you know, a, a big tub and let that black, you know, mm. stick, you know, dye, and then they would, that's how they would stain a lot of the things. Um, Leeches and then the for, I have a blanket roll, which I use as a, uh, a, a coat. You've probably seen in the one video where I used a blanket pin and turned my yep. uh, blanket into. Um, <clears throat> but and the blanket and, pin uh, seconds as a striker for the flint steel? Um, yeah, it can. Um, but I usually, I, I, sometimes they, they have that you can do it with that, but I actually have an actual striker for my, my striker. Um, and, um, but, uh, yeah, there's, and then, uh, the possibles bag, this is called the possibles bag, uh, where you carry all your stuff in in the powder horn, which I made myself. And, um, so, I mean, it, and, and with the dress, um, it, everyone, I mean, when you get into reenactments and, and people who reenact, um, you can get people to the point where if it isn't hand-sewn exactly the way it was in the record books, then you shouldn't be using it. But I don't right. go to that length because I want Same people here. to get, if they're interested in getting into this, I don't want somebody breathing down the back of their throat saying, that's not period correct. As long as they're trying and learning about history, um, because I think that's, one of the reasons why people do period dress is because it shows that they have a really great interest in history and wanting to preserve that history. So as with the clothing, uh, clothing, um, what that blanket roll is, is an actual Italian officer's blanket. It's a hundred percent wool blanket. And if you were to go out there and try to buy a hundred percent wool blanket, Ain't cheap. it's going to be very difficult because most of the wool blankets out there are 90% wool. So 100% wool makes a big difference, that 10%. And the thing is with wool is that even when it's wet, you can still stay warm because it retains the heat. So that's why they use wool a lot. And I'm just trying to think. I have... um, Yeah, even the military uh, wool blankets are 80-20. Really? Yep. So as with my... A lot of people ask what I'm wearing for my feet. 
and I'm wearing buck boots. <laughs> gotcha. I've probably just killed every video now that I'm ever going to make on that. But Period. If, That's if why it's, videos where, it's filmed from the knee uh, up. I get if it. I, if I'm doing something weird in the video, I'm trying to do it historical. Um, right. yeah, yeah. So I try not to show my feet. And the, the thing is, I've talked to a lot of guys that used to do this years ago, and they said, listen, slipping on ice wearing uh, leather moccasins or something like that, uh, just just be safe. You know, we yeah. get the point. Get you know, you don't need to be going out there when it's ice and snow, you know, trying to don't be, be here, that perfect. And nobody else is going to see you, you know. And so that's where, you know, yeah, I, I do wear like muck boots and then I cover them with uh, some wool. Like it's like a wool shirt that I cut off and use them for leggings, um, which I do have a, a tan deer hide that I'd like to actually get made into deer tan um, leggings, um, deer hide leggings, but that's down the road. And to get into this, you're not, it, 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 that type of stuff is rather expensive when you start getting into wool and that type of stuff. So, um, a lot of the reenactors that have done this before, when they're out of it, they're more than willing to give a lot of that stuff to a new hunter. I've seen it a lot. And that's how I got a lot of my stuff. People just said, Hey, I don't use this anymore. I had an extra, if you're going to continue with the tradition, just keep it. Um, you know, and now I have bought some other stuff. There are some sites to find things, but half of the, half of trying to figure out what to wear is to fi- figuring out which time period. Cause there are a lot of people that dress French and Indian, sure. you know, so you're going way back, you know, uh, so you got to try to match your time period. You can wear something older, but you can't wear something newer in, in an older time. You know the, what I'm saying? Those guys went to Duquesne. <laughs> hey, just so you guys know, <laughs> make sure you put this on there. Just so you guys know, Johnny Stock went down in my book. Uh, 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 yeah. uh, I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard, but why don't you try Uggs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're they're wool. You know what I'd like? You know, and that's the thing. Kind of goes back with the inlines. You know, I would love to do an early season flintlock hunt period dress but i can't because i have to wear orange oh yeah and and so and and the the main reason is because of the inlines um so that i feel like if they would have taken that out there's really no difference than you know than the late season and so but that 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 yeah there's a lot of history with that season and i think it needs to be preserved guys especially here in pennsylvania John, we are uh, we're close to bumping up on time here, but I'd like no. to I'd like to close this episode out with you kind of retelling a story uh, on a video that that I thought was particularly interesting, where where you had uh, you killed a, a nice buck with kind of by accident with a, a crag. And oh, see, I was yeah. going to say, let's fast forward, but not very far from the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Good point. Yeah, not very far. Could you could you tell that story? Yeah, well, the history with that buck started um, from where my deer stand is. The first time I saw it was about a mile and a half away on uh, the neighbor's property. Actually, be my great uncle's property. And um, I saw it in velvet. And I knew instantly, I was like, if I saw that in rifle, I I would shoot it. And that hasn't happened for years. And anyways, 
over the course of, well, from about this time of the year in September, um, through the archery season, um, I had, I had a trail camera set up that I believe I thought I had a picture of it. It was really almost too close to the camera because I thought it just looked bigger than what it actually was. And then people were getting pictures of it and seeing it in a three mile radius, um, from where I originally saw it in velvet. And I kept thinking, you know, is this the same buck or is there two or three bigger ones? And so as the season uh, got further and further into the rut, more and more and more people were seeing it all over the place. And I was never getting it on my trail camera uh, on my property. So I thought I'm never going to see this buck on my property. And what I thought I had a picture of probably wasn't. Well, then rifle season comes and no, it was a rut. It was a, during a rut. It was the second week of November and I had to go to my mother-in-law's for dinner. So I got out of stand just about an hour early and I'm driving up the road two miles away. And there it is standing 15 yards off the oh, road, wow. uh, sniffing the dough. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I didn't feel so bad leaving the stand after that. Cause I thought I knew I wasn't going to see it, but I thought, man, this buck is traveling. Then rifle season comes and uh, my cousin from Florida was up hunting and he was walking through a little field and he bumped it twice on opening day, right next to him in a little patch of oh. trees in the middle of a field. And he was just looking the wrong way when it got up and ran down over the bank. And when he come back later in the day, when it was in the same spot. So it survived the first day. And then it was, um, and then I was filming my wife, uh, to try to get her, her first buck. And, uh, you know, she knew that it was out there and that she would shoot it. And so, uh, it was um, actually the day before rifle season. My grandfather was coming down the road to our deer camp, and that buck and a big eight point were locked antlers right on the middle of the road. He couldn't get past them, and that's ne- rarely ever heard of in PA. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So he come down to camp and said, "Hey, you know, there's two bucks locked antlers up in our hay field," and so we all went up, and I don't know what. The plan was there was no plan. Everyone just got out of vehicles. Well, I think everyone getting out and the headlights on them startled them that they turned the right way and they broke loose. I ended up finding out from the neighbor that those bucks were locked antlers about a mile away an wow. hour before that. And they, they were locked antlers for about a half hour, broke loose, and then ran that mile and got locked up again on the road. I mean, they were really going at it. So and the, so the, the moral of that part of the story is don't think when you're doing a little rattling sequence in the stand that you're making too much noise. Right. Or going right. too long. Anyway, go ahead. And they didn't care. So anyways, they, uh, they split up. And then that first day happened. And then the first Saturday came and I took my wife up on the hill and I said, you know, we re- usually religiously hunt that pine stand in our, in our videos, um, on my property. I said, I, we're going to go up on the hill cause we'll see more dough. And maybe we'll come out in the field. I'll put my choke camera in there. Well, guess what? My wife wasn't too happy because oh. that buck come 20 yards past our tree stand at oh, 10 o'clock no. in the morning. And it, and it was headed back and, uh, towards, um, my cousin's property. So every time we were seeing this buck and we knew it was still out there. And I thought this buck is going to make it through the season. And then it was through the middle of the week. Um, my cousin got that 30, 40 Craig from my grandfather. My grandfather was giving away all his guns, uh, pulled numbers out of a hat. My cousin got that. And as soon as I saw it, I said, I want to shoot a deer with that gun. He goes, well, you get some ammo for it. And I'll 
give it to you and you can, I said, I'll, I want to shoot a doe with it. So I said, I'll, it was the last week. I said, I'm going to go out and try and shoot a doe. So I, I walked out of the house and I started walking up through the hollow. Um, and I was basically just going to try to move some doe around because they bed back in there along the creek. And I was just going to try to get them to move around and then maybe go back in the evening and try to see if they, you know, funnel back into their bedding area and try and shoot one. And so I almost didn't even bring the camera because I wasn't thinking I was even going to shoot one. I thought, well, no, if you're going to go, you better bring the gun and the camera. That's, you know, I want to videotape it. So yeah. I just happened to walk walk up there and looked across the creek, and that was actually the side I originally wanted to walk on. And I don't know why I decided to walk on the other side. <laughs> and when I set that tripod up on that deer, it was automatically facing already in, in view. I didn't have to twitch or anything. It was like it was meant to be. And I don't know what happened with that first shot. <laughs> but I told myself he before froze. I pulled the trigger, if this thing does not drop, just you know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So I was ready if that thing didn't drop on the first first shot. So, um, But, yeah, I just I, – I knew the buck the second I saw it. And it was just uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. You got mad history with that buck. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, and with such a uh, – a really old gun, and you know, and especially my grandfather's gun. And you know, now my cousin also has some history, and you know, the gun is famous, and it's his gun and stuff. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's amazing. I just um, and I actually got it scored, and it it actually made Pennsylvania record books. Um, no it, way. It grossed one forty seven. 147 gross and 142 net. And I wow. believe PA record books is 140 with a rifle minimum. Wow. Wow. That Good. might be so, the biggest with a Craig. Yeah. Uh, 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 our great, great grandfather had one of those and it got passed down, you know, to generations. It, uh, it's to it's, the non hunter in the family. Yeah, I, I have it. How about and that? If I ever, uh, <laughs> if I ever hunt rifle, that's he's gonna get one of those fifty-inch musky with it. <laughs> I want to shoot a musky with it. Now, if I ever hunt <laughs> rifle hunt deer, that's that's what I want to use. So he's got a. You know, the thing I learned about that hunt was that was the last Thursday of the season. Yeah. It was the biggest buck in probably a five mile or well, being that it was that big, I don't know of any of the bucks within a five mile radius that were that big. Um. And you, you don't know where they're going to be. They can, they can be there. You know, I hardly saw it at all on my property. And then one day in rifle season, I was in the wrong spot. But, I mean, still, I mean, you never give up, you know. And like I said, you still have flintlock season. Just because that rifle season's over, there's still big bucks in the flintlock season. Right. And so you, you never know when you're going to see that big buck. It, it can happen just like that. That's that's usually the way you hear about those guys killing those big bucks. You sure, know, I was out definitely. there and I was doing something dumb and blah blah blah, and then I killed this monster buck. And it's like there know, I was no minding my own business. There I was bailing <laughs> hay. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you guys aren't shooting bucks with your Craig and and catching snakes with your bare hands and <laughs> walking around in loincloths. <laughs> Where can people find you guys at? Uh, well, you can find us on YouTube and Facebook, Leatherwood Outdoors and Leatherwood Outdoors 2. Um, and uh, we're getting uh, Instagram set up, so 
look, just look for us for Leatherwood Outdoors. Yeah, All right. looking forward to that. That would be cool. You guys have good pictures. Do you guys have anything uh, coming up that you want to tell everybody about potentially uh, as we're wrapping up here, guys? Uh, stay tuned. Instagram. <laughs> stay, tuned. stay tuned. All right, for another Flintlock special. <laughs> All righty. Yeah. Well, guys, it was great having you. Yeah, uh, thank you so yeah, much. We're fun. definitely going to have Thanks. to see you guys in the future, talk to you. We might see you uh, on the hard water. Maybe yeah, some rumors, yeah. rumors yeah. of that. You That's know, a... uh, we have some yeah, connections I'm excited. to that. I mean, so. we've been putting a lot of ice time on there, and i tell you what, uh, Gus, uh, Gus Glasgow and Billy Hines, they've really uh, really got that tournament going. Gus and is the man. Guys, you guys need to get in to uh, talk to, because they really got that thing uh, really going good. Yeah, yeah. Tournament well, I think you've twisted our arm enough. I think we'll be it. Done. <laughs> be there. Yeah, we, we've talked to Gus. He's the man. I think, you know, yeah. so far, uh, and we know what you guys, are, we've seen some of the videos from last year. It's it's a thing. You it's know? a good tournament. Well, I'll tell you what. The ice is so fragile. You know what I mean? Like, you got to get on it whenever it's here. I think me and Steve, you're about to make a deal. What's, What's that? that? I'll go ice fishing with him. If he goes rattlesnake hunting with I, me. I was just going to say, <laughs> if we have been ice fishing with him, if, bud. I'll go again because right. I swore I didn't really care for it. So. I, I was just going to say, if, we, if he goes rattlesnake hunting with me. If we happen to meet up with him ice fishing and, and uh, the fishing's slow, we can break away and, and I'll do some rattlesnake hunting. Oh, oh, in the middle of winter. In the winter. <laughs> I, I, I commit to that. I yeah. can get into yeah. it at that time yeah. of year, huh? Okay. Exactly. So, guys, thanks for being on the show. We'll, uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yep, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Guys, where can they find us? They can check us out at ruttenriverpursuits.com. .com. <laughs> the .com. podcast itself is also always available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and CastBox. CastBox. Oh, you guys are killing me with this stuff. <laughs> and uh, don't forget to check us out on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitters. Twitter. Just look for... There's two Twitters? Rutten River Pursuits. And then, of course, the, uh, the YouTube channel, Rutten River for Pursuits Podcast. Quit podcast. being a jerk, Deaky. Yeah. But I'm speaking just deking around, you bud. You guys are killing but me. Speaking of jerk. Yeah? I heard there's some jerky hanging around the podcast. There might be. <laughs> I think you can look at Moses Family Jerky, mfjerky.com. Go to mfjerky.com. How would I get a discount on jerky? Do you want a 15% discount, Bob? I would love a 15% Jerky discount. Pursuits 15. 15. I'm going to buy 15% more jerky. Get you some. You know what they say. What's that? <laughs> Good things come in 15s. I've, I've said that for years. Nobody said Ryan, that. if my hand I'm is cold while that. I'm hunting, <laughs> yeah. how could I get 15% off a of bowmit? You head over to betterthehunt.com. Go to betterthehunt.com. And you're going to use promo code RUT River, just RUT, R U T, River, R I V E R, 15. No way. We get 15% off off those too? We do. Betterthehunt.com. I'm picking up on a theme here, guys. You should buy two of them and you get 30% off. Well, 15 for <laughs> I don't think that works that way, but nah, it yeah. depends how your math works and if you're talking to your wife about it or not. All righty, uh, let's wrap this up. <laughs> we'll see you guys. See it. Rigam Wheelers. Double clutch it. I want to talk a little bit about white-tailed deer. What? And I got to talk about how I Sounds like a real snooze fest to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Fish Steve. Fish and Steve. So, um 
John, your last video that you just released, or, or recently released, it was a month or so ago. Yeah. My first question is... I know where this is going. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> you, you take your time. <laughs> you know who would make a good trapper? Like a dude that ran like a mall kiosk. Because you don't have to be at work till like 9 or 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah, like the sunglasses guy? Yeah, and then the guy that sells the, the Then they roll screen. out at like yeah. 8.30 or yeah. 9. Yeah. You I've could, been saying that for years. You could trap as much as you want. Uh-huh.